This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. Today, we've got a very special guest with us. Um, He's back again. Uh, He was on the first season of Apostolic Theory when we were just getting started. Um, Shared his heart with us. He's going to join us again this evening. Um, I'm very excited. Uh, We have Pastor uh, Rick Wright with us. Again, super excited. We're going to be talking about some incredibly uh, tremendous uh, things, and hopefully um, they will light a fire underneath you, get you excited about doing what God has called us to do. Uh, Brother Wright, go ahead and uh, just introduce yourself for those who haven't um, listened to the prior episode. Just tell us a little bit about what's been going on in your world, sir. Hey, my friend, it's an honor to be with you <clears throat> once again. Uh, it's been a couple of years. How, how long has it been? Two and a half, three years or so? Yes, sir. Yes, there's uh, there's been a few changes. You know, I, uh, my family and I, for the last 25 years or so, we were in uh, Madison, Mississippi, under Bishop Jerry Wayne Dillon, Pastor Jason Dillon, at Parkway Pentecostal, <clears throat> home of uh, the Apostolic Conference there. But over the last... Uh, I guess probably two, three years, God's really was stirring the nest. We knew there was a change coming. We weren't real sure of what it was going to be. We just knew something was coming. We knew God was preparing us for a change. And so we just began to fast and pray and seek God. And uh, he made it very clear in the latter part of uh, 2021 that we were going to be moved. And, uh, and I started feeling called to Tulsa, Oklahoma, on our lives, and uh, so I just began to focus my prayers that way. Didn't tell anybody. I had some contacts out here, some really close friends, uh, Baron and Raina Longstreth, who pastor a great church here in, in, uh, in Tulsa. We met through the Apostolic Conference at, at, at Parkway, <clears throat> and I just called him and said, hey man, please uh, don't take this the wrong way, but I hope you won't, wouldn't be offended if I told you I believe God's calling me to Tulsa to help plant churches. He said, no, I wouldn't be offended, but I might be offended if you weren't here at TCT helping us plant churches because God has put it on our heart to plant five daughter works in the next five or six years. So we just started praying about that. He was the only one I knew or that I had talked to about this other than my wife. And several weeks later, out of the blue, a prophet of God called me, a friend of mine. Again, we hadn't talked about this. And uh, he just called on a Sunday night. We were waiting for some folks to come over that needed some marriage counseling. And uh, he just started off the conversation. We were talking. He said, oh, by the way, God's talking to you about Tulsa, Oklahoma. I said, I believe so. He said, well, he just wants you to know that that's him. Well, yes, sir. <clears throat> and we just continued our conversation. Again, we hadn't talked about it. But about a month later, uh, December of 2021, we had uh, – Bishop Teal Craft come to Parkway. He was preaching for us during our Heritage Month. We had several stalwarts, just legends of the faith that came that month and preached for us, including Vesta Mangan. And, and here's uh, Teal Craft, 96, 94, 95 years old. However, he's in his 90s. So I'm helping him. There's about three steps up to the platform. So I'm helping him up there to the platform. He just stops in the second step and looks at me, points at bony fingers and God's talking to you about a city. Yes, sir, I believe he is. Well, he prefers the whisper, but he'll yell if he has to. Don't make him yell. Okay. 
<clears throat> so we knew we were on the right track at that point. But uh, with much prayer and counsel with uh, several men of God that I trusted at that point, and God gave my wife a very vivid, very detailed, very specific dream uh, with the blessings of our bishop and pastor, and uh, Pastor Longstress, Pastor Bishop Shatwell. This was it. And uh, it was a it was a quick thing. God uh, God moved me here within a month, which I thought it was going to be an eight nine month process, but within within four weeks I was here. Um, we thought we were just here to help plant some churches, but that's not the way it's it's turned out. We are helping plant some churches, absolutely. We've got one going in Jinx, Oklahoma, a suburb of Tulsa. We've got another one getting ready to kick off in Brookside, a neighborhood of Tulsa. <laughs> But when, as soon as he moved me here, I just felt a deeper call into something more. And uh, it's almost like an irritant in my spirit, if that makes sense. Yeah. I've always been uh, I've always been the guy that I'm not going to just sit on a pew. I can't. I've read the book. I see what happened in the book. I want to do what's in the book. And uh, so that's always been in my spirit. But something over the last year, it'll be a year this Sunday, tomorrow, that I moved here. Something just, I can't sleep. I can't eat. I can't focus on anything other than the kingdom of God and and, and advancing the kingdom and then just reaching this city. And, uh, and so we, we started, started some things here. We started some public Bible studies in open air arenas. And um, about nine months ago, we started having some meetings in our home. Uh, the church here is kind of a young church, not yeah, when we moved here, it was about 13 years old. <clears throat> it was a home business church running about 200 now. But the gifts of the Spirit were starting to be very operational in this church. Uh, but they, these are mostly new converts. This is not people that grew up in this thing. So there needs to be some development of those things to to train, equip. and uh, The gifts of the Spirit are necessary. But right. there also has to be some governance. You can't just let it... Uh, you've got to teach people how to use these things, how to operate these things. And so we started a, a meeting in our home called the Ministry Mentorship. We wanted to focus on those people that are being used currently and, and just start developing them, but it exploded. <clears throat> the first meeting, there's probably 35 people here. We were doing it every month. The next meeting, uh, we brought uh, Evangelist Bobby Wade in, and there's probably 45 people here. The next time, uh, a pastor and I did it again, there's probably 50 people here. Uh, the next one, we had Bishop Shatwell here. There was, I think, 65 people in my living room. Uh, and so it's just exploded. We've had, you know, most of the time there's five or six different pastors from area churches here. Uh, and it's just, we want to equip the people and, and, and give them the understanding, the knowledge of not just what the gifts are, but what is their purpose? Why, do, why are the gifts in the body of Christ? And it's not... You know, we hear it taught all the time. I know you've heard it. It's not just to stay inside the church. It, it's great if I can lay hands on Brother Crooker and pray for Brother Crooker and, and Brother Crooker gets healed. Awesome. But that's not the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit. That's not the purpose of this thing. Um, and so I've kind of had it in my, the back of my mind this whole time. I'm training you, but there's coming a day I'm going to push you out and you're going to go. And that's where we're at right now. <laughs> And God's hand is on this. As soon as we started this, we started going through some very intense spiritual warfare stuff. I, stuff I've never faced. I, I've fought spiritual stuff before. I, I've fought some devils. I've, I, I've been through the ringer. Uh, you know, I've been in this all my life. And 
had always been used of God, and, and I've fought some things, but this is this was different. Um, and so I knew we were on the right track. Uh, this last that last meeting I was telling you about with Brother Shatwell, it was it was incredible. Every time we've done this, we we try to teach. 30, 45 minutes, but it always just erupts. The Holy Ghost moves, and it just it just blows up. This last time was no different. Well, the one I'm talking about was no different. Brother Shatwell talked for about 30 minutes, and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost just hit this place like a tsunami. And for probably two hours, just wave after wave, just the, the gifts of the Spirit just operational in the house, prophecies, tongues, and interpretation, healings, uh, deliverances, just... It just blew up, man, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful time. The next day, my son and I are out doing some yard work, and uh, my neighbor across the street, his house is, I'm looking at it, it's probably 100 yards from my front door, it's his front door. I've met his wife, but I've never met him, and uh, he comes over and just starts a conversation. My name's so-and-so, 75 years old, been married 50 years, I'm a Baptist pastor, been an assistant pastor, been a deacon my entire life, and we just start talking about church things. He's very interested in end-time uh, end prophecy and all those things. It was just a conversation which was pleasant, but I could tell there was something else he wanted to talk about. And after about 25 minutes or so, Garrison had walked off. And he's just standing there quiet, and I said, what's going on? He goes, i got to ask you something. Okay. Rick, what happened here last night? I said, well, uh, Bob... About every month or so, we have a meeting here, have some folks over. And he goes, no, 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 I've seen that before. I know that. But what happened here last night? I said, what do you mean? Well, my wife and I were in our living room watching television, and all of a sudden we heard a sound. We thought the water main had broken. We come running down the hallway, looking out the front door, trying to see where the water was, because we knew it was going to be running down the street. But we couldn't see any water. But your house, it was lit up with spotlights. He said, where would you get these spotlights? Bob, I don't have any lights. No, your, your house was lit up. It was 9 o'clock at night. It was dark. But your house was lit up like spotlights were on your house. I said, you can come look. I don't have any lights. He said, well, what did I see? And, and where was that water in your backyard? What did I hear? He said, there's no water, Bob. There was no lights. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the scripture came to mind of Revelation. I saw the, mount, the Lamb on Mount Zion and 144,000 elders, and I heard a sound, a voice of many waters. I said, this is what you heard, and you're going to hear it again. You heard God's people worshiping him, and the Spirit of God responded mm. to worship. I said, this is what you heard, and you're going to hear it again. His eyes got as big as saucers. He said, oh, okay. I said, in fact, next time I'm going to invite you over. He didn't stick around too much longer. Uh, but this is what happens when you take what we're, what we're doing in the church house and you start going outside of the four walls of the church. This thing was never meant to be a pigeonhole behind the doors of a church. That is an abomination. Okay, mm. that is an affront to God. The New, church, the New Testament church, they, they lived on the edge, Brother Cooker. Yes, sir. They lived on the edge. They were never, they were always being persecuted, <clears throat> being chased, being, being beaten, killed, murdered. They lived on the edge. If they had stayed behind closed doors, nobody would have cared because there would have not had been any results. They would have built a nice little congregation. They would have had a nice little church, but nobody would have cared anything about what they were doing because it would have died where it was. We wouldn't be talking about this today. They were never safe. They were always one step from away from disaster if God did not intervene. Mm. We, we, we love our buildings. 
because they're safe. Okay? But God never called his church to be safe. He said, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. The wolves are in the church. Well, some of them are. But that's not what he's talking about. He loved crowds. Jesus loved crowds. He, he rarely ever ministered where he and his disciples were in the majority. Can you name a time when he and his disciples were in the majority and he starts ministering? Very yes, few times. Very few times. <laughs> right. Uh, Jesus was in the crowd business. Not the church crowd. Okay? He went there to start rebuking devils. All right? And then he turned over some tables. But then his ministry was outside. All right? That's where apostolic power and compassion <clears throat> for people get joined together and fused together. The moment the messenger becomes the minority and is placed in a position where he is not in control, okay, this is where the stage is set for the supernatural power of God to be made manifest. When we get out of our buildings, stop preaching to each other, stop patting each other on the back, and get out and start reaching people who need Jesus Christ, that's when the supernatural apostolic authority and dominion is going to be made manifest. That's when you're going to see miracles, signs, and wonders. I might pray for somebody at church tomorrow and they can get healed. It might happen. I believe it's going to happen. But that'll be one instance here or another instance here. We'll talk about one every couple of months. But if I can get out the streets and start seeking people who need something desperately from Jesus Christ, and I'm doing it in front of everybody, but I'm the minority, and Jesus says, I'll be the strength to your weakness. Okay, we've got to... One of our assistant pastors is, a, is an airline pilot. He's got a lot. This guy is, is, is he's hardcore, bro. He, he is a prayer warrior. He is apostolic to the core. And he and I were talking today. This, being God a lot is something kind of new for him. And he, he knows. We, we, we've been talking about this. Every city he goes to, he just starts lighting fires in the Holy Ghost. He just starts praying intercessory prayers. Every time he has a layover. Overnight, he's just laying. He's just laying the wood, bro. He is just going to town. And I said, I said, bro, what what happens? So what happens if you've got layovers for 10, 12, 14 hours, and you just start walking the streets, finding somebody that needs something? Jesus Christ, you just start laying hands on something. What if you start? What if you start rebuking devils and delivering and people get delivered and healed? What if what if God starts opening blind eyes in Washington D.C. Or, or Kuala Lumpur, wherever you're at? And all of a sudden, God is, Jesus Christ has made himself known to somebody, and you're gone. Your name's never known. But Jesus has done something, and they're going around the city. Tell us, tell them about what Jesus Christ did. Your life, this is apostolic. This is what apostolic ministry is about. Going and doing something to introduce somebody to Jesus Christ. I, I am, I'm sorry, I, I, I get a little lit up about this, bro. Well, because I am. I am going to see a, an unprecedented harvest in this city. I'm going to. Back in, I guess it was July. Excuse me a moment. I'm driving home from work. I've got about an hour drive, one way to work. And that's my prayer time. That's when I talk. And that's just my, my vehicle is my altar. And um, an hour there and an hour home. So I'm driving home from work. And uh, I get about 20 minutes down the road and um, God just shows me something. It was so it was so powerful. I pulled over on, on the shoulder of the road because I was afraid I was going to wreck my truck because God was just, he, he was opening something up to me. But I saw the city of Tulsa. I'm downtown, but I'm in an elevated position. 
skyscrapers, and the streets were just flooded with humanity. I'm talking thousands upon thousands of people. As I'm watching, all of a sudden I hear a sound like a, like a wind, and it just gets stronger and stronger. It's blowing through the building so, so powerfully that it's like a whistling sound, like a train whistle. And I'm starting to get worried. I'm thinking, man, this is a storm coming. And all of a sudden, I see all these thousands of people with their hands raised, tears running down their eyes. And mm. I see someone trying to lift up off the ground, and I got worried. I'm thinking, this is a, this is a tornado. These, these people are getting... But as I looked, I'm seeing a merge of them, and all of a sudden, I got scared, Brother Cooker. This, this, is, this is a rapture, and I'm, I'm missing it. And I heard a voice said, no, this is not that. Look again. And as I looked, I'm, I'm seeing people praising God in English, and all of a sudden it gets switched, and they're speaking in tongues. And he said, I have turned my face towards this city once more, and I have sent my angel to prepare this city for the harvest that will come. I am coming to this city for a massive harvest. And I just saw in the Holy Ghost mm. thousands upon thousands of people getting the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of people beginning to worship. It's coming. It's coming to this city. It's coming to this district. It's coming to the state. It's coming to this nation. There's been prophecy over this city and over the state for decades, bro. Decades. I live 20 minutes from uh, Okamogi, where pastor, where Bishop Mark Morgan used to, to pastor. And he's told all over the world that vision that God gave him about 30 years ago, where he was in the sanctuary praying. And all of a sudden, that, that fireball entered the sanctuary. And out of that fireball came thousands and thousands of young men on fire carrying swords in their Bible coming out of that place. That's that's where I'm at. So that, that prophecy's been here. But that prophecy's coming to pass. It's going to happen. And we've got to see it, bro. We've got to see it. But it never is going to happen if we stay in our buildings and just talk to each other. It's not going to happen. <laughs> Read the New Testament. For every mass harvest event that you see in the New Testament, there was one thing that preceded every one of them. What was it? It was, it was well, they preached, obviously. We preach. Man, everybody around here preaches. We're in the middle of the Bible Belt. Everybody here is saved. Everybody's preaching. But they preached and they demonstrated. It was the word and deed. It was, I'm going to preach the word, but now I'm going to demonstrate the power of God. And then they had massive harvest. When we tie those two things together, when we join the word and deed, we can't leave out one aspect of this. It's not either or. It's got to be and. It's got to be and. Azusa Street, the same way. You got a man, William Seymour, praying hours upon hours upon hours, and he comes down and humbles himself, puts his head in a box in front of all these people, and just... I'm shutting it out till I hear from God. And then he gets up, they 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 preach. Now he's going to demonstrate what Jesus Christ can do. What happened? They came from all over the nation, all over the world, to see what Jesus Christ was doing. You light that fire, there's not a power in hell that can put it out. Amen. It's, it, that's the way it's got to happen. The, the church on the day of Pentecost was 120 people, but later that day 3,000 were saved. Why? Because they got out of the upper room. It wasn't going to happen if they stayed there and just patted each other on the back. Hey, that's awesome. This is what Jesus was talking about. They would have missed it. They would have missed it. Yeah, they would have had the Holy Ghost, but Jesus would have said, I can't do anything with you because you won't get out of the house. I'll go find another. And it would have fell somewhere else. I promise you. It would have
right now? Have you been seeing this? Yeah. This isn't a Pentecostal college. There are Pentecostals around there, but he said, you know what? I'm tired of waiting on you to do what I want to do. I've got a harvest at this con- at this university, and since you won't step up, I'm going to move. Right. I, th- there's nobody's name attached to this thing. The Pentecostals were late to the party because we would not listen to the voice of God. I've got a prophet friend that called me today. We were talking about this. He said, God told me six months ago. I'm about to move in the Midwest. I'm about to do something unprecedented in the Midwest because the people of God won't move. I promise you this started with some anonymous person, some anonymous somebody that built themselves an altar and said, Jesus, I've got to have more of you. And Jesus said, okay, I'm willing. And so just a normal Wednesday service at in their college turned into, I'm not leaving here. I feel something I've never felt before. And they haven't left yet. They've been there since Wednesday, 24 hours a day. And the Holy Ghost is falling at that denominational college on whoever will, whosoever will. Because somebody said, I'm going to build an altar. I'm going to just, I've got to have more. And meanwhile, we're sitting here just, we're church junkies. We're church junkies. We're addicts. For, for good church. Mm. We show up to a church service. We live like the devil all week. The Holy Ghost starts moving. We worship. We praise God. We cry a little bit. We shout a little bit. And then, you know, that'll hold us over to Wednesday. We'll have another move Wednesday. Probably not as strong as we did Sunday. We need to be good enough to get in that. We're, I'm sick of it, man. I'm mm. absolutely sick of it. And, and that's, I, I promise you, God is sick of it as well. He's He's going to have a harvest. He's going to have a church that, that's going to get out of the building. There was 120 on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were saved because they got out of the, the church building, the upper room, and got to the highways and byways of evangelism, and they were outnumbered. Need overwhelms resource, and God's manifestation is required. That's where it happens. When the need overwhelms yeah. your ability to meet that need. Wow. I'm able to meet Brandon Crooker's need. You need, what do you need? Oh, oh you, need, you need some money to help pay the rent. I can beat that. Oh, you need, man, I can get you to the doctor. But when your need outweighs my resources and his manifestation is required, that's when it shows up. But it's not going to happen as long as we're, it's not going to happen in the church. We're going to see some people saved. We're going to baptize some people. We're going to see occasional miracles, but not to the extent that we're supposed to see. I like that you, I mean, this is this is right on point. And you, you think about the New Testament model. Well, really, the, the Bible clearly says that they were added to the church daily. If they were added to the church daily, then that would have required, and it tells us that what they did, it says that they were steadfast in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and going from house to house. So if they were going from house to house and breaking bread, that means they were having meals together in each other's homes and they were gathering together in cell groups, if you will, and they were taking it everywhere. And when Jesus... And when Jesus... Yeah. And when Jesus was, you know, he was still doing the earthly ministry, he had the disciples, he sent them two and two. And he sent a lot, quite a few of them to places that made them uncomfortable. Oh, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You want to see the miraculous power of God made manifest, get out of the house. Get out of the church. You want to. You want to. You want to be anointed. Get out of the church. You want. You want apostolic authority. Get out of the church. Get out of the house. Meet them where they are. Go to the need. Preach the word of God.
want to start a fire, you want to start a harvest, you want to start a revival, get out of the church. That mentality is offensive to God. He called us to impact our culture with this life-changing gospel. This is, this is an eternity-altering gospel. Every single day that we are not doing this, people are dying and going to hell. That's got to, if that doesn't stir you, mm. what is this? The only way these, these gifts work are, is through love. You've got to have the same love in you that motivated Christ. Everything he did was because of love, because he had compassion on people. I can't do this because I want to see my name attached to some, some, some billboard somewhere. Oh, Rick Wright's having this massive, I don't care if my name's ever mentioned. I don't care. I, I turn down opportunities all the time to go preach conferences and these things because I, I don't want my name out there. I just want to see a harvest. I just want to see a move of God. I turned down something earlier this week with a, a name that everybody would know to go do a, a, a crusade. I was going to be a part of the preaching team. I said, you know what, that sounds great and all. But I know Rick Wright. I know me. Because then I'm going to start telling people about this crusade I went to where we saw, well, my name's going to be attached to it. I don't want that. Now, I might go and just be a part of the crowd and lay hands on people in the crowd, but I'm not going to be a part of the team. Because I know me. I don't want my name attached to it. I want his name glorified attached to it. So I don't care if it starts in Tulsa with me or somebody who we don't even know. Just like it's happening at Asbury College, I promise you, somebody we don't even know build an altar. Somebody that we don't even know is going to start a fire in your city. Why won't it be you? Why can't it be you? God put you there. If God puts you there, he puts you there for a purpose. He puts you there for a purpose. It, 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 I'm just, I just refuse to settle. We are going to be apostolic. I am going to be apostolic. I am going to see miracles, signs, and wonders, not for my namesake, but to precipitate a harvest. Because God is going to do something in this city. God's going to do something in this nation. Brother Robin has been preaching for the last couple of years, and God has told him repeatedly, there will be billions saved. It's got to start somewhere. He's in Samoa right now, seeing thousands. Okay, he's going to be in Brazil later this year, seeing thousands. I'm going to see it here. I'm going to see it here. He's been called to be an overseas missionary. I've been called to Tulsa because God has a harvest here. Brother Crooker, you've been called to your city. Well, I've always, always lived here. Well, God put you there for a purpose, okay? If he put you there, he has put you there as an ambassador of the kingdom of God. He didn't put you there to sit in your church and have your nice little formal walls and, and, and your nice little two-acre property or whatever size your church is, and that's it, as an outpost. As a defensive posture, that is offensive to God. He sent you there to expand and advance the kingdom. To expand and advance the kingdom. So it's time to put away the shield and draw the sword and go to work. Okay, this, this, this bunker mentality is offensive to Jesus Christ. This bunker mentality is a he, he has dispatched militant angels to assist the people of God in doing his will. But they won't go to work to you draw your sword. They understand authority better than we do. And they have been sent to cities to help the man of God, the spiritual authorities in those cities. But they won't go to work till he does. They won't go to work until you do. Until you start demonstrating apostolic authority, they're going to sit by and watch you get your teeth kicked in. Wow. It is what it is. And you'll sit, you know, I, I said this on another podcast not long ago. If you've got the mentality that I'm, I'm building my own kingdom, I don't want to upset too much. 
much because I might lose some people if I start preaching like this or, you know, my ties, fingers might, might leave. It, it would be better for you to resign the church right now and go sit under some man of God somewhere than keep doing that because God is going to judge you. He's going to judge you swiftly because he sent you to that city to reach the, and save the lost. If you're determined to stay behind your walls, you're not doing what he sent you there to do because he has sent you there as an ambassador of the kingdom. You're walking to the city with the authority of his name. He will back you up as long as you're doing his kingdom work. If you're trying to build your own name, put your name on some mega church or whatever, you're on your own. But if you're going to do the kingdom work, going out to the streets and the highways and the byways to seek and to save that which was lost, he's going with you. He's going to send help with you. And there's no power, no principality from hell that can stand against you. He did not call you to his city to bow to anything other than the name of Jesus. Everything else there is subject to you. Because you have come in his name, and there's nothing that can stand against him in his name. So if you're going in there and you're kowtowing to anything, you're an embarrassment to the kingdom. You're an embarrassment. You're not apostolic. You're probably perfectly Pentecostal, but you're not apostolic. Wow. You're just you're not. And I refuse to be anything other than. I just, I, I'm not going to settle for it. I'm not going to do it. I know what he has promised us. I know what he has promised this end-time church. He's not coming back for some weak, anemic church. He's coming back for a victorious bride, a bride that has made herself ready, a bride that has searched and sought out his lost children, his lost sheep, and brought it's for whosoever will. How do we know if they want it unless we ask them? How do we know if they want it unless we present it to them? The anointing is given to break yokes and lift burdens. You want to be apostolic? Great. Me too. But until you're breaking somebody's yoke or lifting someone's burden, you're not an apostolic. You're just not. You're, you're Pentecostal probably, but you're not apostolic. That's not what they did. That's not what the apostles did. Oh, my God. I feel the Holy Ghost, brother. I'm telling you, I, I feel, this is just, I can't get away from this. I can't think of anything other than this. Everywhere I go is, who can I find? Who can I minister to? Who can I talk to? Who can I inspire to get out of their house? That's the only purpose I'm doing this. I love you, man. I appreciate what you're doing. But I'm tired of apostolic theory. Theory without practice is impotence. We need to have uh, theories, but the theories need to be proven. So how do you prove this thing? You get out and you do it. It's not. It, so what if he doesn't heal? It's not my. It, it's not for me to heal. Okay. If I take the blame when he does, I'll take. I'll take the glory when he does. So if if I go and lay hands on somebody and they're not healed, next, I did what I was told to do. That's that's on him. He's still sovereign. You know. I went. I don't know probably three weeks ago now, I just felt on my drive home to go downtown Tulsa. We have something called the uh, the BOK Center, the Bank of Oklahoma. It's a big coliseum. It seats about, I don't know, 30,000 people or so. It's where all the big events in Tulsa are held. But I just thought to go and start prophesying to that building. So I parked on the side street. I went, there's some event going on. There's lines of people trying to get on. Here I am standing in this, on the side of the street pointing at the building, prophesying to the building. You are going to be filled with people seeking the Holy Ghost. You are going to be filled with people, their hands raised, 
worship of the one true and living God. We are going to hold services in that building because there's nothing else in the city that will hold the crowds that are seeking something from Jesus Christ. I just want to prophesy into the building. I, I prophesy that there are going to be police officers lining the streets for the traffic coming in and the traffic going out because the river, the Arkansas River is only a couple blocks away. And that's the closest place we can start baptizing people in mass. And they're going to be blocking traffic so these people can walk to the river and get baptized. I just started prophesying to the city. And as I'm walking back to the car, I had to park on the side street because there wasn't any place else to park because of the event. And as I'm walking back home, I look and there's there's probably a dozen homeless people standing around. And uh, one guy walks out to the middle of the street talking. But he didn't have a phone. He just had his hand up to his head. I mean, he was... He was stoned out of his mind. But as I'm walking past him, my spirit checked and said, what about him? What about him? So I said, sir, I don't know what your name is or what issue you have, but if you want me to pray right now, Jesus Christ will deliver you. He just shook his head no and backed up and, and walked off. That's not on me. I did what I was prompted to do. He made a choice. I didn't. A couple of nights later, I'm going to my, to my gym. And there's a little bit of a homeless population around there as well. As I'm walking inside, there's a guy pushing a shopping cart, homeless guy. And I'm walking past him. I kind of slow down. He looks at me like I'm, because uh, I slow down as if I'm going to give him some money. I said, sir, I'm not, I don't have any money on you. But if, you, if you'll let me, I'll pray for you. Jesus Christ will deliver you of your addiction right now. Would that be okay? He said, okay. So I just laid hands on him right there in the parking lot. And I just repeat the spirit of addiction off of him. Did it work? I don't know. I hope I never see him again because he, his addiction has been broken and he gets himself cleaned up. But I know that I did what I was told to do. At some point, we, we just got to stop talking about it and start doing it. At some point, we got to stop, stop talking about miracles, signs, and wonders. And some of us have to lay hands on somebody and say, such as I have. Cancer, go. Diabetes, keep coming up. Go. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jesus is going to do it. And he's going to do it through me. He's going to do it through you. But he will not do it if you're locked behind your doors in your church. If you're too timid and too shy to get out and be seen by the public. This thing didn't start hidden, and it's not going to end hidden. His glory is going to be made manifest to the entire mm. world. And if we're too scared to get out and do it, he'll find somebody that will. Wow. He loves us. He, was, he wants to do it through us, but he doesn't need have to do it through us. Asbury College has proven that. Asbury College has proven that. Somebody's going to have to do something, bro. What are you going to do about it? Wow. When the Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost, it became because people made themselves available. I believe that there were there was more that were there to begin with. There was 500. But it, it, they, didn't, they didn't have uh, the fortitude to stick it out. And that's what they were we... there. They were there because they were expecting a quick resolution to this thing, and all of a sudden it cost them something. Mm. And, and they were no longer interested when it started costing them more time than they were willing to give more of a sacrifice than they were willing to give the fire always falls on altars but those altars require sacrifice you know brother James Hughes this is something Bishop Morgan asked him several years ago 
would preach, and he would preach about all offerings. He said, Brother Hughes, you know, the scripture tells us to present our bodies a living sacrifice. What? He said, well, what is exactly is that talking about? He says, well, it's pretty simple. He said, in the Old Testament, when you brought a sacrifice and laid it on the altar, you slit his throat, or however you killed it, you put it on the altar, it stayed dead. It didn't get up. But in the New Testament, we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice. We get to die daily because at any point, we can decide to get up and walk off that altar. Help us do this. The fire is only going to fall when there's a sacrifice on the altar. And I can't, I can't choose to sacrifice and, and, and be that guy today and then tomorrow not be that guy. Am I going to fall? Am I going to mess up? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I've got to have enough integrity that when I fall, I recognize it. I, I, I stop. Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me. My prayer every day, Raven, when I'm driving to work, the first thing I begin with, I repent and, and then I die. Father, today, I put myself in the altar. My will dies out to what your will is. My desires to die out to your desires. My wants die out to your wants. Oh, yeah. Whatever you need of me. Lord, I, I, I kill my flesh today. I put it on the altar. Because that's the only way the fire can fall. And I start my day that way. Because if I go my whole day without doing that, then by the time I, I get there, it might have been too late. What if I encounter somebody at the gas station on the way to work or the donut shop or whatever? If I haven't died out, the fire can't fall. And I'm going to do that every day, bro, because I, 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 you know, I do the best I can, but I'm still human. You know, anybody that says they don't mess up, they're full of nonsense. They've messed up. I've, I got to do this every day, every single day. And God is waking us up. God is waking up men and women all across this fellowship and, and, uh, and other apostolic organizations. It's not just the UPCI. They're, it's all over the place. He is waking us up that this thing has got to go now. There's an urgency in the spirit that it's got to be now. If you can't look around and see that this thing is wrapping up so rapidly, then you're just blind or you're willfully ignoring it because this thing is wrapping up at such a rapid pace that it's got to be now. Somebody's got to move now. I can't wait any longer, and, and I, I, I just refuse. I, I'm not, not going to be a sermonizer anymore. I can write some great sermons. I can deliver some great sermons, but I'm not going to be that guy. Every time I move, walk into the pulpit, every time I do a Bible study, anytime I'm talking to somebody about the things of Jesus Christ, I'm going to be apostolic to my core. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to. I've got to have this sense of urgency. I feel the constant pull of eternity. It's what drives me because at any moment, somebody that I know, somebody I've talked to or that I didn't choose to talk to, that God put in my past, that quick their eternity to begin. And I don't want to stand in judgment looking at them with God saying, the heart for me, I never knew you. And then point their finger at me and say, but you never told me. I can't. Times have we been in that situation where we knew we were to talk to somebody? I've been there, and I hesitated. I, I, I've asked God to forgive me. I know He has, but they still miss that opportunity. I pray to God constantly, Lord, that those that I was not obedient enough to to, to talk to or I missed, please, please have mercy on somebody else in their path. But I can't miss those opportunities anymore. I can't because
made me aware of the problem. But now that he's made me aware of the problem, I am now responsible for that. Mm. He has made me aware of that. So now I'm responsible for what he has made me aware of. Now that you're aware of what it takes to be apostolic, we've kind of trapped you in this, dear listeners. Now that you're aware of what it takes to be apostolic and what God has called you to do, you're responsible to get out and go. Any place that he has called you to go, if you said, yes, I'll go. Yes, send me. God, whatever. I know each and every one of you has probably prayed this at some point. Whatever it takes, Jesus, use me. He's saying, okay, okay, Brandon Crooker, whatever it takes. Rick Wright, whatever. You said that. Now you're responsible. Now you are you have, you have willingly put on that cloak and that mantle of responsibility. So whatever city you've been called to, whether you're there as a pastor, whether you're there as a saint, you are responsible for the souls of that city. You're going to stand in judgment one day, and God's going to say, you said, send me. I sent you. What did you do with your time? Why are these souls going to hell? Because you did not do what you said you were going to do. Mm-hmm. You have willingly taken on that responsibility. My God, man. We've got to realize how important, how serious this is. This is not just a game. This is eternity. It's so important that the God of all creation said, I'll go. There's no one else worthy enough to be the sacrifice. So I'll go. And then these 120 said, I'll go. And 3,000 were saved. And it just, what are we doing? What are we doing, bro? It's time to go. It's time to go. It's time to go. Amen. Amen. We, oh, man. We, we've, I said, you know, until you're breaking somebody's yoke or you're lifting somebody's burden, you're not apostolic. Jesus shows us this. To the guilty, he offered forgiveness. To the sick, he gave healing. To the weary, he gave rest. To the chained, he gave liberty. To the possessed, he gave freedom. you got to be able to determine what it is that you were created to give. What is your gift? And do you have an understanding of relationships? Can you help people with that? Do you, are, are you anointed to help in finances? Uh, are, are you gifted with administration? What, what angers you? What Usually what angers you is evidence of your gifting and passion. What angers me is lackadaisical Pentecostals, comfortable Pentecostals, sitting on a pew, leaving full of the Holy Ghost and not doing anything with it. Hoarding the Spirit of God, hoarding the anointing, hoarding that angers me. You got to come close to individuals and minister to them in your gifting. Proximity produces ministry. We have been sent. He has told us to go. If you're anointed to evangelize, go see the lost. If you're anointed to build marriages, draw close to hurting families. Uh, if you're anointed to teach, develop groups in your area to teach Bible study. Team up. He has equipped the church and given us a fivefold ministry for a purpose. Not to be individuals standing out by ourselves, but to team up. If he's anointed you to teach, get with an evangelist. I need you to go gather them, bring them, and I'll teach them. That's what it's about. It takes intimacy and relationship to minister. Real ministry rarely happens in a pulpit. Rarely. It, ha- it does happen occasionally, but it's rare. You possess what others need, Brandon. God put that in you. Uh, the chances of it coming out in the pulpit are slim to none. Okay, you know, we're there. The pulpit is, is necessary. Okay, it's, we got to inspire people. We can, but real ministry.
country rarely happens there. There's some prophetic words that go across. There's some, but it's not that. That's just not where it happens most of the time. I want to see. I want to see mass harvest events where in our cities, not just overseas. I want to see. I love you know hearing the reports from uh, Brother Robinette and Brother Herod and all these guys who are seeing all these people healed in the street. You know, it's happening in the street, by the way. It's happening. You know, Brother Herod. It was at the Song Conference, I think it was last year, or uh, 2021 maybe, one of those years, it wasn't this year, <laughs> they talked about being in a park preaching, I think it was during COVID, because they had to be outside, maybe that's why he did this, to make us get outside the building so we can start seeing what's actually supposed to happen, and he's preaching outside and, and people are getting healed out, they don't even know anything about this, they're just walking by, they hear some guy, let's see what he has to say, Jesus can heal me, well, can I get healed? Absolutely. Healing after healing after healing after healing. I like seeing it in the church. We, I've seen it in the church. You know, about four months ago, this young lady, early 20s, never seen her before. She's at our church. She's Pentecostal by appearance. Uh, but I've never seen her there before. And uh, we have a great service. There's water calls going on. She's at the altar. Hands lifted, I just walk in, I'm working the altars, I just lay hands on her, pray a simple prayer, can't move it. I had no idea what she needed. A few minutes later, I'm, I'm walking, uh, altar service still going on, and I see her, she's sitting in the pew talking to a woman, and the Holy Ghost prompted me to go speak to her. Go tell her, I just healed her. Not just because I love her, because I do, but to make her a witness, to give her a testimony of my power. So I go over there to her, Young lady, I don't know who you are. I don't know what your story is, but Jesus said to tell you, I've just healed you. And as I'm talking to her, she looks at her watch. I'm thinking, am I boring this girl? Am I missing it? What's going on? And as she looks at her watch, she just starts bawling. And she just lifts her hands and starts worshiping God. I had no idea what was going on. Turns out this young lady was born with a heart problem. Her heart has never beat over 16 to 20 times a minute, ever. 16 to 20 times a minute. If she walks fast she gets lightheaded and passes out but as she's as i'm talking to her she looks at what i thought was her watch it's her heart monitor her heart was beating at 116 beats a minute never happened in her life and she just lifts her hands up and begins to worship jesus christ because he just healed her and she's to this day she's healed she, her, her heart's completely normal jesus did that Amen. and that's wonderful and, and I, he did it to make her a witness to, to make me a witness because i saw it to make everybody in that church witness because she testified of it. It happened. But that's that's wonderful. I love it. But we're supposed to be doing that out there also. Let it happen in the church. I hope it continues. But it needs to be happening out there where people that aren't expecting this, that don't already know about this, it's wonderful when we can testify among ourselves. But we've all got the Holy Ghost. We've all been baptized. We all believe this. What are we, It's got to happen out there. It's got to happen out there. What, you know, we've got Oral Roberts University here in Tulsa. I mean, how many thousands of people are there? Thousands of students. They come from all over the world because they're hungry, not just for an education, but for the, the things of God. What happens if all of a sudden a fire breaks out on that campus of miracle signs and wonders? And the, I've been to that campus. I've parked in the parking lot and just started prophesying to that campus. You will receive the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Uh, you will receive the, the revelation of this 
necessity of being baptized in Jesus' name for the remission of sins. You will receive the, the revelation of the necessity. Of, and I've felt the spiritual opposition to that. Well, what happens if I'm there praying or somebody else is there praying or somebody runs into an ORU student that has an issue in a hospital or somewhere and just lays hands on them and they're healed and they go back and start telling about this Jesus. I know we've taught Jesus. We're here because we love Jesus. But this Jesus that they teach actually did something for me. What are they teaching that's different from what we're teaching? That Jesus is honoring their prayers. What happens, man? What happens if fire breaks down on that campus and all those thousands of young men and women, all of a sudden, you've got your army that Brother Morgan saw breaking out of that thing in the Tulsa area? What happens? What if that's God's plan? Because I can promise you right now the United Pentecostal Church doesn't have thousands of young men and women ready on fire to go, but there's thousands waiting right there for a revelation from Jesus Christ. What happens? Is it, and is that the way you want to do it? I don't know, but what if? I'm just going to believe that God wants to do something on that campus because they're hungry for Him. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com.